because when the market shifts and when we start feeling that pinch, by the way, we felt that when rates went from two and a half percent to 6% in seven months, mm -hmm. I think everyone felt that kind of stalemate. It's kind of a gridlock for a while. Everyone's kind of waiting. So we're, we're looking and saying, how do we, we might pivot now to more of our, our sales going back to investors. But again, everything in my opinion in this business, especially in, in residential real estate is subject to the market. I mean, mm -hmm. it's all subject to the market, but if the buyers dry up and there's lots of sellers and it's a supply and demand issue, it's gonna become hard for anybody in the business. Welcome to the Income Flip Podcast, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I have a friend on. His name is Jeff Niger. He's one of the founding principals, partners of Kendall Partners. And um, Jeff and I belong to a mastermind, uh, this might have been three or four years ago, called Multipliers, which is where I first got exposure to his thinking. And I always really appreciated our conversations in Tulum, Mexico, on the beach, you know, talking about business. And one of the things I admired about him was that he definitely plays the long game. He is a strategic thinker. And as you listen to this interview, you're going to get that. And you're going to hear how he transitioned from buying things on the MLS to then going direct to consumer and how they really put a lot of time, energy, and thought and money behind going direct to consumer. And so um, listen in on this if you want to get some knowledge on building teams, uh, building culture, uh, and marketing, because we, we deep dive a little bit into their marketing playbook. So uh, without further ado... Jeff Niger, Kendall Partners. Grid, what is going on? Today, I've got Jeff Nidegger from Illinois with me. He's the CEO of Kendall Partners. And Jeff, thanks so much for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Glad to be here. Thank you. Now, you and I have known each other for, I'm going to say three or four years now. Right. Right. And uh, I've been watching your business from afar. And what I want to do is introduce you to the Grid family and certainly deep dive on your business and deep dive on what you and Kevin have built. Um, and how long has it been now? When did you start this business exactly? Well, we started in the best time, which is 2007. <laughs> so we're going into, if my math's correct, we just celebrated 16 years and this will be our 17th year of this uh, real estate journey. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Big deal. Most businesses fail just within the first couple of years. Yeah. And so here you are. You started this business in 2007. What inspired you and Kevin to start this business in 2007, right? Because that was, that was the throes of really like the worst real estate recession since the Great Depression. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it is no, it's not an amazing story, I don't think. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Um, I think uh, I got out of the military in 2006, so I spent... Uh, uh, five years in the army, uh, right out of high school, spent uh, about 30 months uh, overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan and doing some other training around the country. Uh, when I got out and um, redeployed, took a job here outside Chicago, um, I had always known Kevin because Kevin is my wife's first cousin. Mm -hmm. So there's a family owned aspect of that. Uh, we were talking about different things in real estate and he had worked for the company that I took a job for. And uh, we were kind of conspiring, if you will, about what ifs and how could we do this and type of thing. And um, I was only with the company about six months. And I, I said, I, you know, I always wanted to get into real estate, read a few books, kind of the same books. A lot of people read the Flipping for Dummies and 
all the basic, uh, you know, entry level, uh, that peak interest. And then I told Kevin all about it. And I said, we should do it. And uh, his personality is a little bit different than mine, which is great. Um, and basically, he, he said, well, why don't you go first? <laughs> which uh, you don't have to tell me that often because I'm always usually the one to go first, which is fine. Uh, and so I did. I told my wife, I'm going to start a real estate company. And she said, well, uh, I believe in you. And and, uh, and she was very supportive. And I had a little bit of a plan. And um, yeah, so we I started the company and, and bought a small house with Kevin while he was working full time. And then uh, we made the pivot after buying a house, making make a few bucks, and then we we actually sold our second house, remodeled our second house during 2008, 2007, 2008, and we couldn't sell it um, quick enough. Mm. Just it was like catching a falling knife, you know. We lost about fifty five thousand uh, dollars on our second house. Kevin said to me, "I can't, I can't afford this. I have to go back to work." Mm. Uh, those are the actual words. And I said, "I can't afford not to do this." So I said, "This is, you know, Kevin." He was a smart guy, went to college, spent a lot of money doing that. Um, I did not. And so I said, this will be my education. We paid our family member back uh, the money that uh, we had borrowed uh, and started doing short sales. If you remember those back in, oh, those yeah. became hot in 2008. And no one really knew what that was out here because it was kind of a new term. Everybody kind of knows now, but we got really good at negotiating debt and working with different institutions around here um, and just loss mitigation. We were kind of on the forefront here. And did that for about three years and did hundreds of deals really with mm-hmm. no money, uh, helping homeowners out of a tough situation where we could end up negotiating and buying the house and immediately reselling. So we did a, an actual dry fund double close mm-hmm. uh, back then, back when it was allowed, uh, which worked great for all parties. And uh, that kind of catapulted us into almost a decade of, of heavy uh, remodel and, and um, kind of reconstruction. And then now we're into this uh, direct-to-seller marketing, which we've hopefully um, we're on the forefront of blowing the top off of. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit, and then we'll we'll go back to the short sale business um, because very interesting path. Um, and I know there's probably been several different iterations of your business because all businesses have to evolve in order to stay ahead, right, right and grow. Um, what does your business look like today? The business today, there's uh, nearly 20 of us, uh, to include Kevin and I. Um, I would put Kevin and I up in the owner's box, if you will, if you're looking at your traditional accountability chart. Um, my role as the the CEO, and we kind of talked about this, the visionary and uh, person, of the, really the innovator of the business, uh, and, and Kevin's role, more of that COO, operational uh, integrator. Um, and so you've got Kevin and I kind of at the top, so to speak. Uh, and then we've got a, a couple of uh, other people on the leadership team. Uh, like I said, about 20 of us. And, and um, it's really become a, a marketing and sales business. So mm-hmm. like any marketing sales business, you've got the marketing people and the marketing function. And then you've got about a department of uh, seven, eight, nine salespeople that's ever growing. Um, and so now we're, we're, we're marketing directly to sellers, whether that be on the internet, on TV, direct mail, et cetera. Going to appointments, meeting with folks inside their house. And um, giving them an offer to purchase them for cash, as is hassle-free, that whole thing. Uh, and so we're we're all over the Chicago area. All we buy in about seven counties now. Okay, cool. So hold that thought. Let's go back now, right? Mm-hmm. So here you are. You and Kevin are 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 doing short sales, right? Hundreds of them. And by the way, that was that's what fueled my business during that time as well. Mm-hmm. 
I, I ran this blog called Virginia Short Sale Advice. And literally, people would call me, but I did it on the agent side of the business where I would get people out of like a very difficult situation. And we bought a couple of those for yeah. our own portfolio. Uh, but for the most part, we just we just kind of got them out of that uh, difficult situation. So what's interesting is that every market presents an opportunity, right? Every shift yeah. pre- presents an opportunity. And as a business person, you have to recognize what those shifts look like and then pivot in order to 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 really totally. match the, the the market. So so let's talk about some of those pivots, right? So so 2008, 2009, you guys were doing a lot of short sales, you were buying those assets. Um what was the next pivot in the business? Um so that pivot from short sales uh back in 2010, uh late 2010, we looked at each other and said, "Hey, I think the market is kind of prime for some new inventory." Uh you know, when you go through all these short sales and you basically are negotiating and then double closing. You're never really touching the asset, uh, not really adding any value besides sweeping it out and maybe putting an air filter in. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a true story. Uh, we did lots of those where, uh, you know, you didn't add value. So you just took the asset and negotiated as deep as you could uh, and, and, and then resold it, right? Uh, but then we're looking at each other saying, man, if we just did a kitchen, if we just did a bathroom, if we just put a roof on, if we just removed the old pool, um, the house would be worth $25,000 more or $50,000 more, right? And so that's the nature of remodeling, the value-add model. So we did that. So we, uh, there was just two of us. We hired a contractor. And then over time, that grew into a whole team. Uh, we had the, the vans, the tools, the assets, the trailers, the warehouse. Uh, we got big enough where in 2011, uh, a local Home Depot had just opened up and um, they basically brought their corporate officers in to our conference room. And this is at a time when we were probably doing 40 houses a year of construction, uh, mm-hmm. uh, reconstruction. Um, they brought their corporate officers in and basically said, uh, whatever we can do to, to keep your business, we, you, you guys have basically solely kept our local store in business over this hard time. Uh, mm. True story. So much wow. where they brought me and every, all of our employees, uh, Milwaukee toolkits, you know, like the four or $500 kits, they brought them mm-hmm. all for us and just stacked them up. And said, whatever it takes, don't call anybody else. Not build.com, not, not you know, Lowe's or Menards or any of these other uh, competitors. It said, work with us. So uh, what that did for us at the time is we opened our warehouse up, actually. And they came in and, and had a program called the Optics Program. And they would actually uh, put a barcode on all of our top maybe 50 items that we'd purchase. Most of these houses got, got like an A, B, and C package or a silver, mm-hmm. gold, and platinum package. We had to... We were doing so many, you couldn't really do a custom, custom scope of work. In general, you would apply the same finishes to, you know, whatever one you pick. So they came in and barcoded toilets and everything else. And every Tuesday and Friday, I believe, they'd back their semi up and reload our, our warehouse with their material. Uh, hmm. And then we'd, we'd buy it later. And, and that was kind of a cutting edge thing, I think, for um, around the country. They were really trying to work with guys like us that were doing that. So just to give you an idea of what we had, we had a, you know, had a team and had a supervisor and had people in the field and um this was us buying everything on the market so uh maybe five percent a year were purchased direct from seller whether it be a mailer or a a short sale that was lingering but the majority of them were found on the mls Hmm. you know and we said we we, if if we do xyz it'll be worth more just your standard flipping and that's what we did and we did that up until about 2018 uh, got hurt on a few where we lost uh, 70000 bucks on one. And then 
about three weeks later, lost 70,000 on another in the same town. It's a well-known town, Wheaton, Illinois, out here outside of Chicago. Um, and we just caught the market wrong. Uh, we mm-hmm. bought the wrong house, caught the market wrong. It happens, especially when you do volume. But it, we weren't anticipating that to happen. And 140000 bucks. let's be honest, that's, that's, a, that's big to a small business. Um, Huge. And so I think uh, for that reason, that didn't take us out of business. Um, we had some cash. We had some multifamily properties that were kicking off some pretty good money. Uh, we had a lot of equity in those companies. That's when I first kind of met you and we started talking about multifamily. And, um, you know, so what that did for us was really had to, you talk about the word pivot. Um, that was our word. So mm-hmm. we, we actually pivoted from, we actually came up with a new business plan and said, why aren't we going direct to seller? It's always really worked well for us. Um, our business coach at the time said, let me get this straight. You can send out a, an envelope to someone, uh, you know, for a, for a dollar. You can set a card out for a dollar and, um, you know, buy their house and make 80 grand. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, how many do you send out a month? I'm like, we send a lot out. Well, how many is that? I said, we send about 60, 60 letters a month out. He <laughs> looks at us like, oh, that's a true story. Jeff, oh. let's, let, let, let me ask you a question. Let me go back, right? Um, you guys lost $55,000 on your second deal. And I didn't touch on this enough. I want to go back because that that's a big deal. He Kevin said, hey, I can't afford to lose this guy. And you were like, I can't afford not to do this, right? Where did that come from? Like, where, where was it that you were like, this is it. It's all or nothing. I'm going to figure this out. Where did that come from? Um, well, that's a deep question. Uh, two things there, I think. And, and this is how, this is what makes Kevin and I unique as a business partnership. Um, and what makes us strong, I think, is a, is a little bit of a difference of opinion, difference in experience. So Kevin knew that my personality was not really a go bigger to a home. I wouldn't say that. But I would say that um, my wife would describe me as the life too short guy. I think because of my time overseas and Rob, you and I talked about this when we were sitting on the beach in uh, Tulum, Mexico, uh, kind of like this mentality of like uh, when you're in uh, combat or in a firefight or whatever you're doing and then you're back you know, that's life and death. And now people would say they're in life and death situations when they're in a financial situation, whether that be good or bad or whatever, mostly bad. Uh, and I would say, well, not really. Uh, your life's actually not on the line. Um, so I think I've applied that a little bit to the decisions that I make and said, well, I don't want to be flippant with my money or your money or whoever's money I'm borrowing or uh, anybody's relationship. I, you know, we take that very serious. But at the same time, um, Whereas Kevin might be a little more reserved, uh, quite a bit more reserved than I am. Uh, he's the risk manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a little more like, you know, uh, if this doesn't work, then what? Let's play that out where he doesn't really think that way. Um, I'm always looking at the upside and he's always looking at the downside. And not because he's pessimistic, it's just his personality. And that's really what's made us strong because uh, Chris Arnold, as you know, mutual buddy of ours, he said that Kevin's the tether to your balloon. Uh, you're always looking to fly off into outer space and he's like tying you up around a chair somewhere. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I really believe that um, partnership, it, especially in the business that you guys run, like that you need that. I Mark Beckett, who's my business partner, actually is one of my partners in Grid. Um, he is my, you know, I always say my my risk mitigator. Yep. Right. I, I need him as a risk mitigator because I'm like, 
kind of a little Richard Branson, like, screw it, just do it, right? Let's do it. He's like, whoa, 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 time out. What, is, what, what does this actually mean, right? And so I, I, have to, I have to talk through and justify and come up with a multiple exit plans. And I, I think anybody listening, if you could have a partner, it doesn't need to be a business partner. It could be your spouse. It could be you know, a, a friend. You know, but somebody that the bounce ideas off of, um, just to make sure that you're, you know, you're staying on track because um, sometimes left our own devices, it doesn't always work out as planned. Well, know? and I think right there is 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 where it's at, in my opinion. I, I think um, is is you know, Kevin and I travel three or four times a year with a group called the Collective Genius, and um, we're working with uh, you know, or partnering with a lot of the. Um, nation's largest real estate investors. And it's a very unique group of uh, men and women. Anyway, uh, I, I think after a couple of years of doing that, uh, people have really on their own identified that how special, um, you know, they've gone out of their way to say how special they feel the relationship that Kevin and I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we talk about each other well. I think that we do things together. Uh, and it could be houses that we're ha- we happen to be talking about real estate. Um, but you know, I looked at Kevin a few years ago and said, buddy, you know, I love you, man. I mean, we're, we're business, we're partners, we're family. Um, I don't really care what we do necessarily. I like what we're doing, but I would go, you know, sell mugs if that's what we'd like to do. Uh, it didn't mm-hmm. matter. Uh, mm-hmm. We like to do business together. So I think that, you know, and maybe this is helpful to um, income flip people, the grid people. I, I, I don't know. I think that to evaluate someone that you could do business with if you can find someone that you think that you could work well with long-term, again, as, as I've told you, that's kind of the, my philosophy is like, you never know, but you do your homework, like getting married, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin and I always joke that Kevin, Kevin's my business wife. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of. I mean, I spend seven to eight, nine, 10 hours a day with him for the last 16 years. You could argue but that's more than I've spent my wife over that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. we, we do things well together and we bounce things off each other well. Uh, I, I would say the one thing that we do really well is that when we argue, if there is any bantering or arguing, we don't really leave the room mad. Um, I've never really left the office upset at Kevin. Mm-hmm. Not because we don't argue. We don't avoid conflict. That's not my personality. I, I kind of go right into that. Uh, he avoids it a little bit, and I kind of go with my head and shoulders down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think doing it together is much more fun, uh, much more... Um, uh, enjoyable as you, uh, you know, you're looking at opportunities, but this lifelong uh, relationship that you could have in business to do what you just mentioned that you do with yours of bouncing ideas off each other. And it's, it's powerful. Uh, and yeah. it is a little bit different than just having a, a, a an actual COO position or another position in the, in the organization. Uh, it's a different, um, it's the skin of the game is different. It's just a different relationship. And so I would yeah. encourage anyone if they're thinking about doing it or or maybe they're stuck is to really say how hey, how can how can uh you know you know how do these multiple strands of a rope get so strong you know as they're twisted um you know i think that two become one it's it's a powerful thing and i think people should really investigate it not every partnership is made to work but i think it can really be powerful if done right 100 percent. let's let's go back to the back-to-back losses 75 75 right Appreciate you bringing um, that up. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, let's go back to that because that's that's where that's where relationships are tested, right? That's where teams are tested. Um, that's when models are tested, right? 
Um, let's talk a little bit about that. You guys said, okay, let's let's change this model. We're going to go more um, direct to consumer. But you also talked about um, having purchased assets in the multifamily space that I suspect we're paying you guys as well. And part of the income flip journey is helping people understand how to take their active income and convert it to passive income. Um, because, you know, if you guys got hit by a bus tomorrow, if you're in that production mode, yes, uh, that business kind of could die unless you really organize it like a business. And we're going to deep dive a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. But buying assets that pay you back over time is really ultimately one of the big goals for us, you know, uh, on this podcast to help people understand what what have you and Kevin done in that respect? I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, so 2000 and let's say 16 around that era. Uh, so we were we were we had this construction machine kind of running. Uh, we were probably doing right around 45 or 50 houses a year. Uh, it's a couple million dollar construction business. So really, it's a it, it was not a marketing business at all. You could always say that it's a sales business because we're buying and selling, but it was not a marketing business. Again, acquisition-wise, everything was bought in MLS. We would remodel everything, permitted north side of Chicago. So we're in that three to $600,000 range um, in terms of uh, uh, sale price. And uh, that was the business. And um, I'm sure, as you know, uh, permitting and uh, cities and red tape, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it becomes, you, you gotta be committed to that type of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the red tape doesn't normally go away. If anything, it gets thicker or wider or deeper or whatever. Um, and so at the time I, I was looking on MLS, looking for other multifamily opportunities. Cause I, Kevin, and I way back in 2008 took a course. Uh, I think we went out to Cincinnati and took a course on multifamily. Uh, I thought it was great. We always wanted to get into it. We actually didn't know how. We knew it took a lot of money. I mean, that's what we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we were looking and I found this opportunity. It was a small building. Uh, it was 14 units. And it seemed like the price per unit was just um, unbelievable. So long story short, we bought the building and um, took the NOI on it from about 50000 to 115000 mm-hmm. in about less than, a, less than a year and a half. Um, and, and self-managed it, which is really a small building like that. All that could, you know, mm-hmm. the management would kill it otherwise. Um, and so during this time, you mentioned a couple losses we had. Uh, we had those losses, but we had so much equity in these uh, multifamily buildings. We actually had another 10 unit. Uh, so we had 24, right around 30 units and uh, had a ton of equity in these buildings. We're in the NOI, but basically as high as it could be. Mm-hmm. And looked at each other and said, hey, we were going to, we were hoping these would become assets that would that would be generational type. They just seemed like really good buildings, um, easy to manage, if you will. Uh, we did the smart thing. You know, we're thinking about the long term, so we did the the repairs and improvements that were uh, not the the fluff and buff type stuff. We actually mm-hmm. really rebuilt them well. But we were sitting on about five hundred thousand dollars of equity uh, between the two, and while our core business, Kendall Partners, was kind of uh, not doing well. You know, you mentioned that, uh, about, uh, you have been through that a few times. Um, we said, you know what, we're not going to ha- be, you know, cash poor over here and be cash flow rich. Mm-hmm. No, not that it's not nice to make 10,000 bucks a month, but when you're your core business that has people and, and, uh, operational mm-hmm. overhead, et cetera. So we decided to sell. And so we took it to the market where I thought 
was kind of peak pricing in 2019. Um, you know, multifamily was really the the buzzword. I think it still is, but it was really mm-hmm. hot then. And we sold uh, both of those uh, like within a day. Mm-hmm. Um, not actually, but we sold one set on scene to a company out of Maryland mm-hmm. and sold another one to uh, a local investor and really cashed out that money that was locked up um, and took that and really plugged that back into a, a really hard pivot for Kendall Partners into the direct seller marketing. That really was from a transition from rehab and construction heavy flipping business to a little bit of uh, multifamily exposure to no multifamily exposure, all the cash coming back in and saying, let's go to the market and figure out how to be a really good marketer. Uh, okay. That's what we're doing today. That's awesome. What's going to do. Awesome. Well, let's let's talk about being a really good marketer. Went on your website, love it, by the way, sent it to my, my business partner. I'm like, this right? That's what I wrote. I said this. So when you, when you start deciding to go to direct consumer, you, you have to get really good at understanding all the metrics associated with your marketing spend, um, understanding conversions, understanding, making sure that your, your salespeople are converting properly. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk, let's deep dive a little bit about that, right? What is, what does your model look like? Uh, you said, Radio, direct mail, right? What's the spend? What are you sure. guys trying to the what are you guys trying to accomplish? Let me back up back into that 2016 era and I'll just tell you how much of a marketer I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is important because I'm okay saying um, that I've made some stupid calls in my life. Maybe not stupid, but just um, immature for the business. Uh, the call back then was like, why do we even have a website? You know, we're buying and selling on MLF. You know, re, you know, and, and so you're remarketing on the open market. Uh, we took a turn and, and actually in 2014, put our properties on our, our website, kind of a coming soon. And we're w- wanting to drive interest at the time. I didn't actually know how to drive the interest, but I had a guy in the office here that would, did a really good job of putting our coming soon. And then he'd share the link on Facebook. And that's about as, as, uh, uh, as the depth of our marketing at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I said, why do we even have the exposure of the MLS, you know, or the, uh, of our website? Um, I don't even think we need a website. So I bring that up to say, um, I was looking at the P&L and then saying, gosh, we're spending $5,000 a year in marketing. But, you know, why is that line item so big? <laughs> in con- keep it in context, right? This is maybe a, a million dollar business at the time. Yeah. But I'm thinking, why are we spending five grand? This just seemed extreme. So 2019, we sold those multifamily buildings, brought this cash in. And going back to what I just mentioned, what, 15 minutes ago about my business coach at the time saying, wait a second, you send a letter out for a dollar and can make a hundred grand? That was an actual story. Everybody that's listening is going to say, why are you sending out 600 letters or 600 a week, right? Mm -hmm. That's what he was trying to get at. And maybe I was a little bit slow at the time. Um, So fast forward to 2019, we went the traditional route of, you know, going to pay-per-click ads. Um... So learning that business a little bit, uh, we had hired a, a data, um, kind of a data uh, manager, if you will, uh, and then a graphics person. And they kind of sat in the office. We came up with these plans around um, running our own traffic, uh, social media, YouTube, et cetera. Um, it was a good experiment. The experiment ultimately failed. Uh, one of the guys was really good. The other guy was not so good. Just that's a whole different conversation about hiring. But what we wanted to do was run our own marketing in-house. And, and, mm-hmm. and I always thought that as much as I read about marketing, you should control your own. 
Um, and so I wanted to be really close to the information. So we were spending three or four grand a month in pay-per-click and direct mail. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, we're really, we're going to spend 50,000 bucks this year in marketing. That's, that's 10 X what I just mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fast forward, maybe 21, um, we're spending about $25,000 a month. And I thought, oh my gosh, I never thought we'd be spending that. And so I was always looking at it as an expense mm-hmm. and saying, how can we afford to? And, and instead of saying, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say is how can we afford not to? Mm-hmm. And it's really not an expense. It's like anything else that you would do with money. If you expect to deploy money and it to come back with more attached to it, it's really an investment. Um, mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with spending money. Yes, the, the activity is that you spend it, but you're investing in something that you believe, right, with, uh, without a reasonable doubt, at least after some testing, that it should bring back what you want. In this case, we were marketing from motivated sellers to specific lists via direct mail, uh, putting our ads out there on pay-per-click, Bing, et cetera. And then we, we became really good at it. Um, transitioning into 2022, uh, we were spending about 65,000 bucks a month uh, hmm. drives about 200 leads a month. Um, and there's a lot going on there, right? In your own little funnel as to what that provides. As of today, we spend about $110,000 a month, um, which is absolutely crazy from being a guy that says we don't need a, need a website to having multiple websites. Uh, lots of lead generation going on between really pay-per-click. Um, we're in TV. We have not done radio. I know you said radio. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. Uh, that's coming soon. So you get uh, this this face on TV, you know, saying, "Hey, I'd love to love to work with you and buy your house." Veteran-owned company, um, and then we do about seventy thousand pieces of direct mail a month, hmm. um, and that continues to fluctuate. But that's kind of been the foundation of our direct-to-seller business has been direct mail. Uh, at the longer cycle, it's a lot more predictable, though. But um, Again, I hate to say, uh, you know, embracing the long game, but that is how we think about it. You know, when we think about relationships, we think about marketing. We don't really do stuff and say, you know what, three weeks later, didn't work. Now, there has been that. But if you believe in something that, that, uh, that's been proven and it's viable and you're willing to invest the money, then I, we look at it and say, we're not willing to look at an investment or I'm sorry, a marketing opportunity uh, for less than maybe six months because here's what happens. We still get, we still get deals that we buy today. We just had one last week that came from a postcard that we sent during COVID in 2020. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we ask, you know, to confirm the postcard, because we try and get really good attribution, the lady had said, I hung on to it until I was ready. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sure we sent multiple cards to her after that, but she hung on to the one that she liked the most or just the, Mm -hmm. the one and throughout the rest and didn't associate us with the others. But she actually hung on to the refrigerator. And that's what we all want as marketers. And to hang on to it for when the right time, because I believe it's, you know, timing is everything, right? The 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 wrong message to the right time doesn't matter. But the right time, right message, well, there's your, there's your marketing. Okay, so that's that's a fascinating story because, yeah, you, you're going from zero marketer in your brain. Like, you know, some people are just born marketers. So you're going from like zero marketing, don't have, any value associated with it, you see it as an expense to spending over a hundred thousand a month in marketing. I mean, th- that is a a massive leap forward psychologically, a massive leap forward from a business perspective. Just kind of understanding that. Um, in order to feel confident, you and Kevin must have really drilled down to understand what the return on investment looked like, right? 
So yes. you're getting 200 leads that come in a month in your funnel. How like right now you're buying what 15? Yeah, 18 to 20. Yep, yeah, we're okay. pushing on that 20 pretty quick here. And what's typically your average profit per? Uh, we're north of about 35,000. Okay, okay. So you you guys ran the math, and you said, hey, our our uh, our client acquisition cost, right? Our CAC is X. Have you guys, do you know what that is? By any chance, have you nailed that down? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At this, at this spend, uh, I think you could go deeper than where we're at, but not much in terms of uh, attribution. Uh, we measure lots of things. So we're, we're looking at total spend, total investment. Um, and so we're, we're deploying that between the channels that I mentioned of TV, pay-per-click, direct mail, uh, soon to be radio, probably soon to be billboards. Again, that's more of an advertising bucket, mm -hmm. uh, brand awareness bucket than it is just a, a lead generation tool. Uh, but to get your brand and your face everywhere, you know, you kind of got to be everywhere uh, to saturate. Um, so I know what it gets us now to spend about a hundred grand. We can buy about 20 houses. Uh, average cost per acquisition uh, or, or cost per, um, cost per uh, a deal is what we kind of call it. Uh, CPD would be just less than 5,000. So, mm -hmm. and I think a good number. So if you, if you're, if you're acquiring for less than five and making 35, you know, you're mm -hmm. in that six, seven X range. I don't know that it holds right there uh, for all the things we talked about 20 minutes ago with the market being where it's at. Um, you know, it's, it's demanding a little bit more revenue per deal, uh, which is higher than it was last year, which is higher than it was the year before. Mm -hmm. uh, so you got to make hay while the sun shines. I'm not complaining for the return. Um, but I think in any marketing business, um, two things need to, need to be talked about. You mentioned one, which is the cost per acquisition. Uh, so that let's just say that's $45. Uh, the other thing that I want to know is, so you've got your return on ad spend there based on your $35,000 per deal. But what else I want to measure, and we measure very close per marketing channel, per marketing channel is the, um, what we call the lead to profit. Mm -hmm. So really it's the cash conversion cycle. Mm -hmm. because I think you need to measure both in order to make educated decisions to put more in in where. So if I go to my marketing department now and say, hey, let's increase the budget $25,000 this month, uh, where should we spend it? They automatically know, well, how do we want, are, are we looking for leads and revenue now? Or are we looking for something in the future? Which you can get both, I think, if you know, if you know your, your time. Direct mm -hmm. mail, you spend money now, you, you, letters go out in two weeks. You know, you get a call in three weeks, uh, you send a contract in a month, maybe at 45 days, and then you add 50 days onto that. That time frame gets extended. Mm -hmm. Interesting part about like a PPC or a pay-per-click, a Google ads, um, you can spend money today, actually, and get a lead today, go to an appointment today and buy a house, you know, essentially you can get, get it under contract today and buy it in, let's say, two weeks. Mm -hmm. So under the same sales model, you can, you can effectively make your 35 grand, you know, in 50 days versus 95 days. So the money isn't equal. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we're, we're pretty deep into that. And we know those numbers per channel, uh, the cash conversion cycle, which again, we call lead to profit from the time the lead comes in to how quickly we can make money. What dashboard are you using to track all of this? Do you guys have a dashboard? Have you created one? Oh yeah. So we've got, uh, so for about eight or nine years, we've been using Salesforce. And it was extremely underutilized. Uh, it was actually called Property Base. 
uh, which mm-hmm. is a tool that runs on I Salesforce. Remember. It's it's for agents. Mm-hmm. We custom built it for more of the agent investor because uh, we we have owned a brokerage for ten years. I'm not licensed, but we've owned that, so we we needed both to track uh, the property and the sale through MLS. Uh, we've now pivoted over the last three to four years to Salesforce Enterprise, and that is probably 25% of our marketing and data conversation is around how to build that out better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're very intentional. We spend probably, we'll spend 150000 bucks this year alone, just continuing to build out. And I see that um, forever. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, in my opinion, for our business, as we continue to grow and get better, I don't know that it's a one and done. You just, you know, and that's relative to anybody's business. Well, you don't need to spend 150,000 bucks. Business is not, you know, very big, but um, that's certainly an investment to make things better. So we've built out dashboards to look at return. And then we're, we're still using um, Google Sheets, you know, for a lot of input and data. Um, there's some AI wrapped around that, that, that kind of can pull information out and throw it into other places. And Google Data Studio, which is now Google Looker, Mm-hmm. Um, that type of mm-hmm. thing. And we're working on building out Plecto at the time, uh, at the current time, so we can take our Salesforce information and make it a little more, uh, we can gussy it up a little bit, make it pretty through Plecto, and then redisplay it on dashboards throughout the office. So mm-hmm. currently it's 95%, 90% Salesforce. Awesome. So what does the team look like today? Because this is a machine. You're, you're, you're explaining a machine. Tell me what, what the team looks like today and, and where you're looking to take it. Sure. So we've got a team of, uh, it's 17 or 18 now, and I, I should know the number. Uh, we've, we've, we've actually hired about one and a half people every quarter for the last three years. So you can do the math on that. So we continue to add, it's actually gone up a little bit more. We actually hired two people last, uh, two weeks ago today. Um, so because of the nature of the business, right, it's sales and marketing. Um, now, this might not apply to somebody that's in, um, you know, Lexington, Kentucky, but being in the suburbs of Chicago, buying in seven counties, uh, real estate is a interesting business because it's not an attorney state technically, but being in the collar counties of Cook County and, and Chicago, everybody uses an attorney. Hmm. The reason I say that is because we, we, ha- we have what we call um, a deal manager. It's really a transactions manager. Any real estate business has it at scale. But in our business, really, it's a contract to close. So from our purchase contract all the way through our sale contract, we've got a team of, of right now two uh, ladies in the office that do an awesome job. One being a seller point of contact. So as soon as we sign a purchase agreement with Mr. and Mrs. Jones, uh, that gets handed off to her. She calls Mr. and Mrs. Jones and that sets the table for how we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's very clear we do that same day, a lot of times in the same hour. Uh, that way, sales, in this case, can go back to the the frontal line, if you will, and, and go mm-hmm. do more of what they do best. So that's the transaction side and the operation side. That's where Kevin lives, uh, my business partner, in terms of, um, as you can imagine, it takes a lot of money. There's a lot of money moving in and out, buying houses, wiring funds, et cetera, earnest money. Uh, so there's a lot of cash flow management that works out, and we're always looking out about six weeks now. Um, we have to stretch that out as we do to buy it. You know, we've got about 50 properties under contract. Uh, right now. So it's just a lot going on. That's a lot lot, of money. There's a lot to predict. And we actually close on every house. We don't, Mm -hmm. I should make that distinction. We don't wholesale. um, Technically, the activity, I guess you could say is a wholesale activity, but we actually buy every house and get title. You know, we pay for the seller's closing costs, et cetera. uh, And then we give our buyer, our purchaser, clean title. 
so they're actually a very clean um, recorded transaction there. Uh, I've got a marketing person in the office. He's kind of the marketing and data manager, this person that I'm talking about that knows the information really, really well. So if you walk in his office and ask him what's the best performing channel, he'll tell you and the time and the investment, the cost per deal, uh, even though the blended is $4,500 per deal, it might mm-hmm. be 6500 for PPC. It might be 2500 for direct mail, et cetera. Uh, I've got an operations manager who's really a COO kind of in training. Um, great guy. His name's Glenn. Um, and he runs a lot of the people, a lot of the onboarding, a lot of the hiring, uh, a lot of the technology with um, our marketing person. Of course, I've got Kevin, myself, um, and then I've got a whole sales team and a sales manager. I, I should go back and say that Michelle on the on the transaction side has been with us 10 years. Hmm. Uh, and then Aaron, my sales manager, has been with us almost 11 years. Uh, and then he's got a team of about eight people between lead managers. So when the phone rings and Mrs. Jones is on the other end uh, and she wants information, lead managers will, their job is to really um, answer questions and then set the appointment purely. Mm-hmm. That's all they do over the phone, uh, set expectations and then uh, hand that off to our acquisitions manager, so our house buyer, uh, and we have four of those, and they're out going between two and three appointments a day. And that's kind of a sweet spot for us mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, we're, our goal would be to contract 100 houses uh, in uh, third quarter here. So um, that's really it. And we've got a couple people in the field that run around, as you can imagine, when you own 50 or 60 houses, it's a lot to manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially we get this thing in Illinois called uh, deep, fr- deep freeze, and so uh, you got to winterize properties and, and you'll make sure things are, you know, utilities are turned on, et cetera. And they do final walkthroughs and um, are really an outward facing customer uh, success person, too, because they're doing final walkthroughs of the seller and, you know, completing that last little bit of the transaction so we can close. Um, and that's the team. So you got a team of, uh, of uh, I think it's 18 now, and we're probably be here at 20 um, pretty quick. Jeff. Are you guys then not renovating the houses? Yep. So on the construction side, that would be under the operations side of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so operations manager with our field manager, they actually, in, instead of us um, doing all the construction in-house now, we actually use subcontractors. Mm-hmm. So we've probably got a, a handful of three or four closely held subcontractors that um, we just do use every house. Yep. And then we've got maybe two or three general contractors that can do it all. Um, that, you know, we, we would always sub out the carpet and the flooring. We get a pretty good deal on that at our volume, um, appliances, et cetera. And they let the contractor do what they do best, um, you know, remodel and renovate. But anymore, Rob, if we, if we put in more than $30,000 into the house, uh, I'm wondering why. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just mm-hmm. don't do that anymore. Um, not that we won't, and not that if the market needed us to do that, we wouldn't do it. But uh, right now it's, it's really cleaning everything out, making it uh, marketable. Mm-hmm. And then as we take things to the MLS, which is, I would say right now, about 80% of the houses we sell are going to be sold on the market. Mm-hmm. The other 20% we're going to buy immediately and sell immediately to an investor. And then they're going to be the ones that do what we used to do. They're going to put mm-hmm. the 80, 90, 120,000 bucks in and take it all the way to the top um, and, and sell that move-in ready product, which where ours is more of a value-add, for the most part, product. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Totally makes sense. Yeah, you're, you're, um, you are increasing the speed of your, of your cash as it kind of flows through the business, right? You want to be yep. in and out quickly. 
You want to polish what I would call polish the penny. You want to give the market inventory, which it doesn't currently have. Totally. Right? You you monetize that and and you you focus on what you do best, which is you're a you're a marketing business, right? Yes. And you really you, you just you crush that piece. A lot of people don't understand that, right? They get into the um, wanting to make it look absolutely drop dead gorgeous to get maximum value, but you know there's a lot of money that goes out, and it's hard to scale a business like that. In fact, I've seen a lot of large home buyers in our area scale and you know they have all the in-house crews they've got all you know they they do all of it themselves they scale and then they realize man this is complex this is really hard and then they end up coming back and focusing more on kind of like the wholesaling hoteling kind of piece of the business right, right? Mm-hmm. and maybe they'll renovate some you know and take it to full max value but for the most part they're like, no, we're a marketing business, right? I think that's important for people to kind of understand. And, uh, and I, I do too. And I think that I think um, if you want to do something, uh, whatever you think scale is, I think that's relative. I think that's a sexy word that people like to use. And I don't think it's applied equally or evenly to every business. Mm-hmm. If you buy and sell 10 houses and want to go to 15, that might be scale for you. Uh, especially if those are $200,000 remodel jobs. That's a mm. big business, right? That's a lot of work. And you might make $150,000 on a house. You don't need to do 100 houses or want to do 100 houses. So uh, we're pretty careful to to uh, benchmark what scale is your business versus mine, my business mm-hmm. versus the next guy's. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that's part of being a, um, what we're trained to, to be is a, a smart marketer, uh, a smart business. I think my job as, well, I know my job as the CEO innovator is to is to be a really good predictor so i don't just look at information and, and know and especially with the, as long as we've been doing it and just assume that it's always going to be how it is today mm-hmm. uh you know from being in the real estate business for a long time as well uh the market changes it's not if it's when uh and i'm not trying to be a timing expert but i'm always looking at the information you mentioned we're down on inventory about 40 percent. so are we right it's a, it's really the same to the to the midwest market um Yes, we bring new market to new inventory to the market, which is good. Uh, most of these houses haven't been haven't been marketed or or for sale publicly for 10, 20, 30 years because we're buying a lot of times from estates or Mrs. Jones, right? That hasn't sold or bought a house for 40 years. Um, but we're looking at all those things because when the market shifts and when we start feeling that pinch, uh, by the way, we felt that when rates went from two and a half percent to six percent in seven months. I mm-hmm. think everyone felt that kind of, uh, you know, that stalemate. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a gridlock for a while. Everyone's kind of waiting. Um, so we're we're looking and saying, you know, how do we, we might pivot now to more of our, our sales going back to investors. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, everything, in my opinion, in this business, in, in, in especially in, in residential real estate, is subject to the market. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all subject to the market, but it... If the buyers dry up and there's lots of sellers and it's a supply and demand issue, it's going to become hard for anybody in the business because mm-hmm. my inventory flow goes to investors. And if they're not buying because there's no buyers for them, then everything's just at a stalemate. Now, that doesn't last forever because usually something frees up and it usually ends up being price and that comes down. But that doesn't happen overnight. Prices mm-hmm. don't change, you know, 10% in a week, not typically. Um, might change 10% over a year. 
but uh, that would be pretty significant. So um, I think it's just watching the market. Uh, we've got a team now, so we've got significant overhead. Uh, we don't take that lightly. Uh, we don't hire people flippantly. Um, again, playing the long game, we look at people that are going to, their core values, they're going to want to be here for a long time. And uh, we're very cautious um, of the market because it's going to, it's going to going to move again, mm-hmm. which will provide inventory opportunity for some, and it's going to provide hard times for others. It's just the way mm-hmm. it always works. Jeff, what what are your core values, Kendall Partners' yeah. core values? Yeah, um, well, we've got four, and uh, integrity being number one. So if you know, and, and we do really hire and fire based on core values. Uh, I've only had the, the fire part off of core values uh, once. Uh, and that was really no one else's fault but my own. It wasn't even the person's fault that was working here. Uh, it just, it, they kind of slipped through the cracks and I chose, uh, uh, I did what I think uh, a lot of uh, CEOs or hiring managers do and they, they hire for performance and not for core values. Mm-hmm. And I think you've got to find that middle ground. Uh, and I, I went more on the performance side and kind of thought that I might be able to change the person's personality and behaviors. Mm-hmm. And that's, 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 that's a hard road. Uh, so integrity, um, commitment, humility, and then growth. Uh, that's who we would want to work here. That's who we want to stay here. And uh, we really do focus in on those um, over and over again uh, to make sure that, hey, if, you're, if this doesn't line up with who you are, then it's probably not a good fit. Um, and uh, I think that if you, I think the way you see those core values come out is not just in the, the halls of your own office, but if you look at the credibility that we have on, that we've worked really hard on building through Better Business Bureau and, you know, 220, you know, uh, reviews on, on Google, uh, and you take out those keywords, you're going to see some of those. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what our team does. They do a really good job of representing the company well. Um, and uh, that comes out outward facing. People say, you guys just, you do the right thing. And we will. We'll choose to do that over profit. Mm-hmm. I saw the language woven into your website and then I saw it woven through the reviews. So it's consistent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important for people to hear you when you build a marketing engine, you, you also need to know what you stand for and how you're going to position yourself in the marketplace against all the competition. Cause you guys, um, you know, You've got a lot of competition in your area, yeah. right? We're, mm-hmm. we're talking about all the different competitors that have come in. Some have done well, some maybe not so well. Uh, but you got to find your voice in the marketplace, right? And it's evident, actually, when I went through your website, that you found your voice based on your core values. Can you give any guidance or advice to anybody um, regarding that when it com- when it comes to them building out their marketing, their brand, or their voice, right to the marketplace. Yeah, I think uh, it's a good question. I think um, I think just establishing your core values. I think you may have some, but as you grow a team, are they the same for everyone else? Um, actually, and I think that if you're growing a team, whether it be from three to five, or five to ten, or 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 even bigger than what I have, a lot of companies are much larger. Um, they know their core values, and I think that it's different for me. Uh, this is uh, uh, personally, I don't love the the the, the two paragraph mission statement that hangs in the hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one reads it. Uh, no one can recite it. No one can remember it. Mm-hmm. Pieces of it, 
But I think that if you do a core values exercise and you, you know, you write down your top three people that mean the most to you in your life, and then, you know, you put their names on a piece of paper and then you say, why are they the most meaningful people in your life, right? Pull out a few words, a few attributes as to um, uh, what might make them the most important. And then you come up with this core values exercise. It's really powerful to do as a team. And then you might come up with three or four. I wouldn't do more than probably five, maybe mm-hmm. it's how many core values can you actually have? But um, I think once you have that and then you build around that, every town hall that I give every Tuesday of the, of the, of the month, uh, first of the month, uh, we go over our core values and we just make sure everybody's on the same page with all that. But after you do that, you have a purpose statement and you know who you want to be to the market, who you are and who you aren't. Um, you talked about being consistent. Um, you know, there's just certain things we won't do. Um, so as much as I mentioned the word long game and uh, being consistent, I would say if you asked our team without me present, they would say the same thing. Um, and uh, they want to do what's right and build something for the long term. And I think that they go home at night feeling good about what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what you want. You know, people come to work for a paycheck, but the, the statistics say they come mostly for an emotional paycheck. We all need mm-hmm. to make money. Mm-hmm. But they want to be loved and heard and and um, listened to and, um, you know, ask them for input. And mm-hmm. so I think you have that. I think you can put anything you want on a website. But if that lines up with your your credibility and what people are actually saying about you in the marketplace, then I think you've you've won. Now you've got to maintain it, though. Now you've got to maintain yeah. a reputation. Um, and I'd rather... Um, I'd rather continue to build our reputation the right way and knowing that uh, we may lose some. There's a lot of shady operators in the market, uh, in mm-hmm. your market, my market, et cetera. Um, and I'm okay losing those battles because we'll win in the end mm-hmm. uh, by doing the right thing. So, mm-hmm. Jeff, let's, let's touch quickly. Uh, I've got two questions here. Let's touch quickly on, on the operational business rhythm. You talked about your town hall meetings. Uh, first Tuesday of every month. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, what other what other operational systems have you put in place to keep the business rhythm consistent, to keep everybody on the same page? We started, yeah, we started in 2019 and this was kind of our journey. Uh, if you remember, uh, you know, whatever, 25 minutes ago, we talked about the multifamily properties we had. Mm-hmm. Um, I came across a book that many, many people have heard of called Traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, had I read it two years prior to that, I would have put it back on the shelf and said, Hmm, that's a great book. Uh, <laughs> I read it at the time. And because of those properties, Rob, that we lost those, that money on, I was really searching. Uh, I mean, I was searching my soul really. I, and, and for Kevin as well, we were kind of struggling and I really felt the onus on me as the CEO visionary. It's always been my strength to kind of solve the problems. I'm the big problem solver. I'm the big relationship person. And I just couldn't figure out what we were going to do next because we couldn't really afford to continue to do what we do. And I've never loved that. That's why we we actually loved the word pivot. And that became the the 2019, 2020 mantra. It was mm-hmm. kind of a themed year of uh, pivot or die. And we actually called it pivot to profit. Um, mm-hmm. But but um, so at the time we, we read Traction, I asked Kevin to read it because I wanted his thoughts on it. Uh, he heard something in the book differently than I did, which is good right? Because he's got a different brain than I do. Uh, I knew exactly who I was. And in and, and EOS, the entrepreneur operating system, right? They talk about, you know, who you are to the business. It lined up well with us because I've got a business partner and clearly one of us was the 
the innovator and one of us is the integrator, right? And, uh, uh, or the visionary, I guess the U.S. calls it. And I was the visionary and Kevin's the, the, the one that does it and, and drives it home. Uh, so through that, it, we, we developed, uh, and worked through BOS with a coach, uh, hired an implementer and did that for about two years. Uh, since then we've moved on to another system that we use, but basically we, we do have an operating system throughout the business. So at least there's, you know, we've got process maps and charts. If you wanted to know how we market direct to seller, I've got a process map that if you put it on the wall would probably be four feet long from a, a new lead to a set appointment to a contract, yes, no, maybe so. Uh, and it's built out for anyone to see. So we've got our core process maps. Um, there's weekly uh, meetings. They're in operations meeting right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a cadence to when everybody gets together, everybody comes in, shares their best business and best personal. Uh, that would be a takeaway from EOS. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a business, when it's going a million miles an hour, how do you stay aligned? Mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to do that when you do a, a corporate company parties every six months. It, it's, hey, I haven't seen you since April. I don't want that. And so um, one of the ways I've really tried to, to lead our leadership team, uh, who I've got uh, four on the four of those on my leadership team, is to make sure that we do our uh, the best we can do in each department, operations, sales, et cetera, by making sure that we're very in tune with what everybody else is doing in their lives. So we want to know, like, if you ask me how many kids we have represented throughout Kindle Partners, I know the number is 40. Hmm. You know, we have 40 kids represented. And the reason that's important, I know everybody's anniversary. Uh, I want them to know that we care about their lives because we do. It is the right thing to do. Um, so when somebody has a baby or has a surgery or has grandmother that dies, we want to do our best to be involved and support um, them. And we use Google Chat. And so you've got all these uh, Google Chat um, groups, I guess. And the amount of conversation that happens hourly uh, or by the minute during the day is pretty spectacular. A lot of bantering, a lot of, comp a lot of competitive um, uh, memes, I guess you'd say, going back and forth, which is fun. Uh, we love the competitive nature of the, of the company, but it is not a cutthroat, um, I don't want to say your typical sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. So we're going back to the hiring the performer and not having the, the core values. Uh, it's the high performer, low trust. Uh, you know, we really want the, uh, the high performer, high trust, if you can find mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. And what it's created is a great culture of people that love each other and give each other hugs and, hey, how can I help? and listen to each other. And the cool part is, is now, Rob, from from all the reviews used to be about me and I'd go out and get them and get the video testimonials. They don't even mention Jeff anymore, <laughs> uh, which is fin fantastic. And I say that a lot because I, it really goes back to the team being empowered. Mm -hmm. um, I don't micromanage. We set the expectation and then let them go. And then mm -hmm. we test for negative impact. Mm -hmm. And then we look at it again and say, okay, that didn't work, let's adjust fire. But I want to get out of the way and let our people be rock stars and and love what they're doing and then pay them accordingly, right? I think they're 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 compensated well with plenty of upside and no ceiling. Jeff, I noticed when I went on your site, just and you have a site that's like Jeff buys houses, I think, right? Is that what Jeff it is? Jeffbuyserhouse.com, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Like you guys decided to kind of go through, you know, you have multiple channels. How many, how many different websites, how many that's just more of a curiosity. Than yeah. JeffBeiserHouse.com is new as of 2021, I believe, maybe 2022. Uh, that was really um, started only because Kendall Partners, 
uh, is a brand that we started, you know, at, you know, almost 20 years ago, but it really doesn't say what we do. If anything, it sounds like an attorney's firm. Um, <laughs> and I am not an attorney. Spoke, I'm a non-trained spokesperson, but no. Um, no, so we, we actually went with a brand that was very consistent and, and it was clear in the messaging. Mm. So Jeff Beiser House is really, it, it all falls under the covering of Kettle Partners. Mm. Uh, but it's an outward-facing brand that really is a TV brand. So we're on mm. PPC. We're obviously backing that up or, or backing our TV up with pay-per-click. Uh, so that is one uh, funnel, um, but it all comes to Kendall Partners. So when you call Jeff Beiser House, you're getting Kendall Partners, and we make that clear that hey, we're we're actually our buying entity is Kendall Partners, and you can look at our credibility here. Kendall Partners is now um, obviously the, the the operational entity. Uh, it's an S corporation, um, but we really wanted to brand ourselves and so in the title people can know exactly what it is and so as we go to billboards or go to radio it's 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 catchy and i probably get three people a week five people a week that i don't know or maybe that know me and that are watching which is interesting right because people are always watching saying Mm -hmm. you've been watching your commercial i see you on tv you know my kids hear it all the time at at school which is maybe slightly embarrassing for them I actually had a lady from church the other day say, how much, how much do you make every time your commercial runs? And I'm like, do you mean in terms of how many deals we might get or how many, how much do I get paid? She said, well, don't you get paid every time your commercial runs? I said, well, I'm not an actor. I actually had to pay the stations. She was serious. She was dead serious. She was like, are there paid for doing your commercial? I said, no, we, we paid a lot of money to be on there. We're hoping that it, the phone rings. It's tough on it. But that's interesting. Yeah. Perspective. Yeah, so, just, I love just that. the two brands now. Just the two brands. Got it. So that's your outward fit. That's your direct, that, that's your marketing, right? Funnel, essentially. And Kendall Partners yep. is the operating HQ operations business. Uh, I love it. So that leads me to the final question. Um, what's, the, what's this destination look like? Is there a destination, right? Um, what, what are you building? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the, the long-term vision for Kendall Partners? Man, it's a great question. I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. Um, <laughs> well, it, it is, you know, it, it is hard because it, things change, right? They do. But but there needs to be a North Star, I think. Yes. Uh, great point. Great question. I do think it's important. And it becomes more important, um, I believe, in my opinion. I think it becomes more important as we've... So I've set the, I've set the stage with you that I told you about how, how great our team is. And I'm not saying that just because uh, I, I own the company. Uh, I'm saying that because they are they are good humans, uh, and so for that reason, because of our core values, growth being one of them, we we want people that want to grow. And I don't mean that they all want to grow because they want to add more houses, but I want them to be lifelong learners. I think that's what leadership is, in my opinion. And we all lead uh, to some degree whether you're at the top or you're in the middle or wherever you're doing, but whether you're leading your children or the local church or the baseball team or whatever, uh, you got to lead yourself. Um, but I think, uh, because we want to be growth minded always personally and professionally, um, I believe it's more important now to continue for me to set a higher goal or that North star, like you said, because I, I think the people on the team really deserve it uh, and they're eager for it. They get really excited around setting, um, Oh, it's that stretch goal. Uh, I'm pretty good about moving the goalpost. Uh, and I don't try and do it weekly or monthly, but I mean, like when we're getting close, I'm like, Hey, just a few more, just a few more. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you that follow Ed Milet, he's got that book. You know, one more power, one more. Yeah, it's that's that's our that's our that's our word this year. One it's more. interesting. You know, I haven't read his book, but I listened to his podcast leading up to it, and he was going through talking about the power of one more. And I thought, man, so simple, uh, it's so surreal. But uh, you know, in practice, is it is it easy? I don't know. Not not always. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question directly, uh, I'm actually working on a bigger goal. Um, I think we'll buy around 200 houses this year uh, for us in our particular marketplace without us expanding uh, in territory and just staying in the Chicago land area, what we like to call uh, the metro. Um, I don't think that buying 500 houses is out of the question. I think that grabs us quite a bit more market share. And I think that we've, what I really wanted to do without scaling chaos was have a really good foundation and a really good team, core values, et cetera, and build off of really, really sound leadership uh, and then take it to the market. Now that sounds good. And as you know, easier said than done because as soon as you build what you've, you know, uh, what you put together, where you build it, uh, the market changes. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. timing is everything. Um, We're having a good time now. It doesn't mean in 18 months, it's a good time. But I want to build something that is built to last. And um, yeah, so I think uh, going after about 100 extra houses per year for mm-hmm. the next five years is where we're going to go. Mm. Um, and once you know your funnel and how many people it takes to kind of do that, it's not really a one-to-one anymore. Uh, I do believe that our our scalability is not going to come down to process. I think fine tweaks, 1% changes to the process make all the difference. And then adding really good people, high quality people into the process is what does it. And, mm-hmm. and that's just my, from my experience. Um, while me looking out beyond that, making sure that I can navigate the the roadblock or at least the speed bump that's quarter mile down the road, mm-hmm. you know, that way I can, because not everybody, everybody's operating in their own day to day. I want to be making sure I'm looking way out. That's my, that's my job. And so I, I feel the the challenge of doing that. Yeah, yeah, you you need to be part fortune teller. Totally. The data will the data will help you make those decisions. You'll see it. You'll see inventory creep up. You'll see conversion slip. Um, and, and, and I so, think the data. I think I think you're right. I think the data making data driven decisions. Uh, I would say is is what we do pretty well. Uh, there's a lot. I hate to say really good because there's always a lot of room for growth. But I think that we watch that information pretty closely. And I don't want to live in a vacuum um, because of just our own market might be a little bit different than yours, might be a little different than Phoenix, et cetera. Of course it is. But uh, we're watching current uh, national trends, um, government being probably the biggest risk, my opinion, um, just from the the levers they control. Um, But uh, yeah, we're watching all of that and trying to be really, really good predictors. Uh, And we'll miss a little bit. Uh, I just don't want to miss a lot of it and uh, have to close it all up. So um, not really my concern. I don't really spend a lot of time looking backwards, but I mm-hmm. think that the lessons uh, we talked about, the two deals we lost on, uh, that's fresh in a lot of people's memories here because they're still here. They've been here mm-hmm. you know, like, well, 10 years. And uh, sometimes I joke with them by saying, you actually can't answer that question properly because you've got so much scar tissue from the past. <laughs> And that's good because that builds that muscle memory, but mm-hmm. sometimes you get tainted by your decision-making because of, you know I mean, past. Oh, uh, for sure, for wounds. sure. You're like, Ugh. Oh, I, I definitely um, think I, I have 
I still have PTSD from 2008, right? And I have PTSD from the year 2002 uh, in oh, yeah. technology, right? I was I was young and um, I owned a tech recruiting business, and that was, you know, we that that was that was brutal. Like we had to let go of 11 of our closest friends, right, during that time. And that business survived, and that business still exists today. But man, did we learn a lot in 2002. And uh, and I I sold my portion of the business to my best friend who now actively invests with me in real estate and uh, but yeah those those are that's still fresh in my mind 2002 2008 right I don't I don't think you ever forget about that because that that's the story that's that's the journey right mm-hmm. so you you've got an impactful and a powerful story just as it like it mine's unique to me um, I don't I'm not ever looking to forget that mm-hmm. I just. You know, I don't, you use a little bit of that as you make decisions, of course, because I don't want to be the guy that, that continues to do the same thing over and over and just, so I think we learn and we pivot a little bit. Um, so yeah, the market will change. We, we want to make data-driven decisions. Uh, there's lots of information out there that, uh, a lot of good resources out there to, um, to look at and to follow and to listen to. Um, and, and you can't wait forever. You can't, you know, you, if, if, I, if I didn't want to, um, like we're building the team for now, but we're building it to last mm-hmm. for a long time. So I, we're really focused in on making sure we're set up for the future uh, while taking advantage of current uh, environment, you know, and continue to to uh, to grow. So yeah, we're going to be aggressive and uh, try and do it the right way and uh, build it, you know, as a, as a, a viable business for, for years and years. And I'm hoping we can have this conversation in another 15 years about what it looked like. Well, yeah, that's right. Yep. You'll look back. I love it, mm-hmm. man. Well, thank you for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. If, oh, my pleasure. If people want to get a hold of you, right, uh, how do they find you online? You know, give me your, we'll make sure that we connect everybody, but just give a shout out to your favorite place for people to connect. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Facebook. I don't know if that ages me or not. Um, <laughs> my kids also own my kid, no, my kids always said no one uses Facebook anymore. And I'm like, what? So I don't know. Um, that's a good place because there's only one Jeff Nidegger, I think, on Facebook. I don't know. Maybe. Um, Jeff at Kendall Partners, LTD.com. Uh, you mentioned the websites before. Um, our outward facing marketing um, lead generation website, JeffBuysYourHouse.com. And then our main core website, which you'll find all of our team on, all the information about our business at KendallPartnersLTD.com. Uh, those ways are probably the best. If you can't get it that way, you probably can't find us or you're not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Google us. I hope if you uh, just don't click on our ads uh, because, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, and, and, but go look at the reviews 100%. Yeah. But Jeff, man, thanks so much. I appreciate you sharing some time with us today. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Take care. Yeah.